0: Well, it is uh, summer, and uh, we're going to start a a new series over these uh, next few weeks, which I'm calling uh, Postcards from Heaven. Uh, Does anybody still send postcards when they go away on holiday? Anybody still do that? Yeah? One or or two people. uh, Some of you have been away. uh, Some of you have yet to go away, and uh, sometimes we do, we send postcards, and we tell people Uh, What's happening and what we've been doing and what we've been up to. And uh, over the next few Sunday mornings we're going to be uh, receiving postcards from different characters in the Bible. And hearing something of their stories and uh, what they've been up to. And uh, this morning you'll forgive me for starting with a a very good friend of mine. Who sends us this postcard to the people at Baptist Church. Having a wonderful life here in the land of us. Business is booming family are partying, what could possibly go wrong, your friend Job? What could possibly go wrong? Well, if we know the story of Job, uh, lots of things uh, possibly went wrong in his life. And maybe things have gone wrong in your lives and things have gone wrong in my life. And uh, when things go wrong, uh, one of the things we do is we try and work out, uh, there must be a reason for this, there must be a reason for that. It's human nature, isn't it, to try and work out things and, and make connections. Uh, one of the things that I, I like to do most mornings is that I like to go out and feed the birds. It's, uh, it's almost become something of a ritual. Uh, I I cut the bread up into nice pieces so it's just the right size for them Uh, and and I go out there. Um, But um, I've been away for a few days this this week and so the birds haven't been fed and I'm guessing they don't arrive in my back garden and, and see no bread there and think, what have we done to upset Richard? why hasn't he left us any bread they probably just go and look somewhere else and and find food somewhere else Uh, but human beings we like to find out we want to know don't we Uh, why has this happened why has that happened and so in the story of Job uh, that's the first thing I want to think about the reason for Job's suffering the reason for Job's suffering Uh, why did Job suffer uh, often the reality is uh, we've no idea why we suffer, have we? We don't know the reason. But in the book of Job, actually, we're told exactly why Job suffers. Uh, we're given uh, a reason for Job's suffering. It uh, starts off with this lovely picture. The man, uh, Job, lived in the land of Oz, And uh, he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. In other words, Job was a good man wasn't just a good man, he was described as the greatest man in the east and that's what God said about him he was a good man uh, but as the story goes on we read this uh, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came with them don't like the sound of that do you? Um, Charles Swindle in his book on Job says beginning at verse 7 down through to verse 12 we have a dialogue that is most interesting. You won't find find it anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, What Charles Swindle describes as most interesting we might want to describe as most disturbing. Uh, We are disturbed if not alarmed by what happens in Job chapter 1. I'm looking for a rich guy who lives in us for a little testing and persecution. It's hard, isn't it, to... Uh, Francis Anderson writes, it's hard to examine the role and the character of Satan in Job without thinking of the devil that he became in later literature. The Satan may be the chief, chief mischief maker of the universe... But he is a mere creature, puny compared with the Lord. He can only do what God commit, permits him to do. Um, not going to dwell on, uh, on on too much on, on the Satan character, but just to just to point out that uh, that certainly um, to to blame uh, Satan for everything that goes wrong isn't what the story of, of Job actually does. And in fact, Job and his friends would have no idea of of who Satan was. Um, They certainly wouldn't think as we think. And this is the danger when we read the Bible, is we can't help uh, coming to the Bible from where we are. And we read things back into the Bible uh, that we already know. And uh come back to that in a little bit of time. But uh, the reason for Job's suffering is spelt out. And to be honest, we don't like it, do we? We don't like it. We don't like it. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He's blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. And uh, every time I read that, I always think, I wonder whether there was a conversation in heaven where they said, have you considered my servant Richard? You probably didn't go on to say there's, there's no one like him and he's the greatest man in the in the Northwest. But uh, you wonder, don't you, when things go wrong, was there a conversation in heaven where God said, "Have you considered my servant Richard? Have you considered my servant Peter? Have you considered my servant Bevel?" And uh, you know, you wonder, don't you? Are these conversations going on in the heavenly realms? And you and you wonder, you know, you know what was this? What was this council meeting all about? And and who was this Satan character? Well, he he was part of the council who had been going to and froing. And and God points out Job to him, and uh, of course the Satan character responds by suggesting that maybe Job doesn't serve God for nothing, but God's blessed him and basically says, you know, anybody that you you treat like that is going to worship you because you've given him such a good life. And the suggestion is that if those things are taken from him, that Job will not only not worship him, but he will curse him to his face. And uh, to our shock and to our horror, God seems to go along with uh, this challenge, uh, this wager, uh, this bet, whatever we want to, however we want to describe it. We are a little bit uh, challenged by the fact that God takes the challenge and says very well, go ahead. Um, I don't like it, you don't like it, but that is the reason for Job's Uh, suffering according to the book of Job. Uh, The reason for Job's suffering is made clear, but only to the reader of the story. Uh, We're told, we're given this behind the curtain view of what's going on. We're taking up into the heavenly realms. Job and his friends have no idea of this conversation and will never hear of it. And uh, we need to bear that in mind as well. Uh, The reason for Job's suffering is made clear, but only to the readers of the story. Knowing the reason for our suffering may not be as helpful as we think it would be. Uh, I don't think Job would be helped in any way, shape or form if he knew the reason why he was suffering. I think he would probably be more annoyed and more angry and more frustrated if he knew the reason for his suffering. So, the reason for Job's suffering is spelt out. We might not like it, uh, but there it is. And we shouldn't draw the conclusion here that because this is the reason for Job's suffering, that this is the reason for everybody's suffering. Uh, Again, like I said at the beginning, we like to make connections. Uh, We look to join pieces and sometimes we get the pieces muddled up and we join them in the wrong order and we come out with the wrong answers because this is why Job's suffering. It doesn't mean every time somebody's suffering that they're doing it for some heavenly reason. Sometimes bad things just happen. So the reason for Job's suffering. And then there's the reaction to Job's suffering. Uh, how does Job and everybody else react? How do we react uh, when we suffer? Well, Job's reaction is, uh, is almost unbe- as, as unbelievable as the, uh, as the uh, conversation that goes on in heaven. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And uh, we we shout our men and we say, "Come on, Job! That's brilliant! That's how we want our heroes of the faith to react, don't we? Uh, not thrown at all by anything that's that's happened to them, uh, just carries on in the faith as strong as ever. And uh, even though all those calamities have come upon him, uh, still strong in the faith. This is what we want to see, isn't it? Or is it? Or is it? Uh, his wife." Uh, not on the same page as Job, is she, his wife? Uh, his wife says, his wife only gets a small part and, and this is the only mention, do you notice that? His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Uh, not the most encouraging thing uh, that uh, that is, is said to Job, not, uh, not, not the most helpful thing. And uh, Job's response though is to say, well shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And uh, Job's still going. This is great, isn't it? And we're thinking this is marvellous and uh, this is wonderful. Uh, The reaction to Job's suffering. But it doesn't finish there because when we turn to chapter 3, we find maybe that that Job uh, is starting to waver a little bit because after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job chapter 3 is a long chapter of basically Job saying, I wish I'd never been born. What was the point of it? Uh, For sighing comes to me instead of food, my groans pour out like water. And we start to see a slightly uh, a different reaction to Job's suffering, but maybe a more realistic one that we can identify with. Uh, Because most of us, when we experience any sort of suffering, the first thing we do is we start to complain and we start to moan and uh, and, and we start to grumble. And uh, the book of Job seems to say that that's okay. It seems to say that that's okay and we need to hear that. The reaction to Job's suffering. Of course, it isn't just Job who's affected by uh, his suffering. There's obviously his wife, but also... Uh, His friends. What what you need when you're really going through it is some friends to come along, isn't it? And this is what happens to Job. When Job's three friends heard about all these troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. That's what you need, isn't it? When you're going through a, a really difficult time, you need friends like that who come along uh Who've agreed before they go that their intention of coming, and it's important to recognise, it's their intention to come that they all agreed was to sympathise and comfort. That's what they came. Sometimes Job's friends, I think they get a bad press. Uh, They came with really good intentions, didn't they? To comfort and to sympathise with Job. Which was a good thing. It's a good thing to do when people are going through it. Uh, Very often people's reaction is to stay away. Very often people want to stay clear. It's almost as if we're worried that we might be infected by their suffering, isn't it? When people really go through suffering, it's very hard to go and visit people. People often stay away as if they're almost worried that they might become contaminated. If it's contagious, that they might be affected by their sufferings. And very often they stay away, but not Job's friends because they're good friends. They come along to sympathize and to comfort. The problem is, is after they've sat with him for seven days, they decide to speak. And they decide that Job needs to hear one or two things. And uh, this is Eliphaz, the first of Job's friends, who speaks. And he says this, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the uprights ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Eliphaz, in his sympathy And his compassion, he basically says to Job, you know, in this world, I've worked it out. People get what they deserve. And for the next 30 chapters, the friends and Job's go back and forward. And basically they say the same thing. And they have this argument about what is happening to Job. And the friends say, we know, we've worked it out. Um, people that get trouble, people that suffer, they've done something to deserve it. You reap what you sow. And, and, and when the friends say this, uh, they say it in good faith. They say it not only in good faith, they say it relying on what they have read in Scripture. And this is the interesting thing, Um Peter Bloomfield said, it's crucial for the understanding of the book that we realise that these three uh, are good men. We can all cope with the criticism of fools, well I don't know if we can, but he says we can. We can all cope with the criticism of fools, but when it comes from solid, wise, godly men, it's hard to bear. And the reason why it was hard to bear is because actually Job believed exactly the same things his three friends believed. They believed in this thing called divine retribution. Which basically meant you did get what you deserve. And that's what they thought scripture said. And actually they're right. That is what scripture says. We could go to lots of scriptures that basically say. You know if you're obedient to God. God will bless you and look after you. And you'll have a wonderful life. If you are disobedient to God. Then God will curse you and punish you. You will find that written in scripture. And so when the free friends say this. Uh, the, the alarming thing is they are actually quoting scripture at Job. And they believe wholeheartedly that they are being true and faithful to scripture even though they are wrong. And this is the thing that we need to grab hold of and be careful because it's frightening, isn't it? That people can faithfully Uh, read the Bible and apply it as they see it and still be wrong? Does it ever enter into your mind that you might be wrong? One or two people are nearly nodding. Most people are kind of, not really sure because I I think I'm pretty right. I I mean, I'll be honest, I think I'm right most of the time. (laughs) Uh, Certainly when it comes to... uh, Looking at scripture, you know, I mean it's my job, isn't it, to, to look at scripture and to, 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 to read it and to to discern what it's saying. So uh, I'm like most people actually, I, I think I'm right. And and certainly Job's three friends thought they were right. They were absolutely convinced. They were so convinced that they were right that they told Job exactly what they thought. And the problem was they didn't just tell him what they thought. When Job starts to argue back and says, Well, I'm not so sure because you see, I, I used to think like that. I used to think what you thought. Uh, but now I'm not so sure and the free friends didn't like that we don't like it do when people question our cherishedly held beliefs do we We don't really like it we're not very comfortable are we and uh, we we tend to go into defensive mode don't we do you ever go into defensive mode you know, somebody asks you a question, uh, science has disproved God, hasn't it? It doesn't really exist. And you go into defensive mode and you start coming up with all sorts of answers. that ever, ever happened? Uh, and worse than that, not only do we go into defensive mode, if people, um, what happens in the story of Job is they don't just defend the faith, they start to attack Job. Because Job won't have it that they're right and he's wrong. That they're good and he's bad. He won't have it. And he keeps bickering away, and they get irritated, and so they start to attack him. Have you noticed that uh, people they don't only just um, not like it if you hold a different view of scripture; they start to attack you. So the, the person with a different view doesn't just have a different view. They're liberal. They're a heretic. There and we start to we start to call names. It's a bit like going back into the playground, isn't it? Where we start to call people names because they have a different view. I wonder why that is. Is that something to do with our own insecurity rather than our our, our really wanting to defend the faith? The reaction to Job's suffering. There is a tension between what Job believes. Um, And what about God and his personal experience of life? At the beginning of the story, the two in perfectly harmony, Job believes that God blesses people who are good and that's how how he experiences. But suddenly Job's experience and and, and belief come into tension because Job still thinks he's a pretty good person and he hasn't done anything terribly wrong. And yet his life is falling apart and that causes him not just problems in his life but problems in his mind and his theology. And he has this conversation with three friends that go on for 30 chapters. And uh, John Hartley says, unfortunately Eliphaz is unable to hold his tension in balance. His care for Job hardens into condemnation because he feels he has to protect his cherished beliefs from Job's charges. And we do feel that we have to protect those cherished beliefs, don't we? There's something in us that feels that we have to... Uh, somehow defend, because if we are, uh, you know, little old me, I'm going to defend God because he's not big enough to do it himself, so it's down to me, you know, Uh, protect the pulpit, you know, be careful about who you let come in the pulpit in case they lead us astray because we're not clever enough to work out for ourselves, whether somebody's speaking the truth about the Bible or not. Derek Kidner says, the basic error Job's friends make is that they, are over, they overestimate their grasp of the truth. It is the truth, but they overestimate it. Misapply the truth they know and close their minds to any facts that contradict what they assume. You see, they've already made up their mind what they believe. So anything that contradicts that must be wrong. Now you and I are foolish if we think that we cannot fall into that same trap. You and I have already made up our minds what we believe. And anything that contradicts that, we believe is wrong. That's, that's our starting point. That's where, that's where we start from. And so, because of that, our minds become closed. Not only closed to, to what somebody else's opinion is, but closed to what God might be wanting to say to us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reaction to Job's suffering. I'm reading a new book, uh, that my wife bought me for my anniversary, Lies We Believe About God by W.M. Paul Young, the author of The Shack. Interesting book, and in it he says this, the world I grew up in is is not a place that had high value on questions. At best, questions were a sign of ignorance. This question's about the faith. And at worst, were deemed evidence of rebellion. Anyone who disagreed with our theology, science, or even opinion was an enemy or a target. What mattered was certainty. Back to that idea that certainty is, is the thing that we need most of all. We need to be certain about what we believe. We need to be certain in our faith. We need to be certain about God. And uh, if we're not certain, then that's a bad thing. And people that ask awkward questions, uh, we need to sort them out and stop asking awkward questions. Um, you know, when Jesus said that we need to have a childlike faith, it wasn't just a simple trust. What do children do? Children ask questions. What's this for? What's that for? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why have we got to do this? Why have we got to go to bed? They ask lots of questions and that's how they learn. Uh, in adulthood, we still learn by asking questions. We shouldn't be afraid of questions. Uh, we should readily engage with questions. Uh, this is my friend, Glenn. Some of you know him. He's the, he's the minister of Side Baptist Church. We meet quite uh, regularly. and um, We go out for cups of coffee or sometimes even for a breakfast And uh, do you know what we do? We talk. and We we talk about football and we talk about uh, our lives as Baptist ministers. But very often our conversations come round to theology. Theology is just talking about what we think about God. And uh, guess what? We don't always agree. Can you imagine that? Two Baptist ministers sitting having a cup of coffee, uh, chewing over some theology and not agreeing. Uh, But we seem to be able to not agree without falling out or attacking each other. In fact, uh, not only do we not attack each other, I would defend Glenn's right to believe something different to to me about the Bible. I would defend it because he is my friend, he's he's a good guy, he's he's a great Baptist minister. And uh, we we, we go back and forward. And when we do that, we're actually sharpening each other, challenging each other's beliefs. Uh, We're not threatened by the fact that we don't always agree. And we're certainly not going to start attacking each other and falling out, as Job's friends do. The reaction to Job's suffering is varied and different. Uh, Job wants to know what's going on, his friends think they know what's going on, and Job's not happy with their solution. So, what's the result of Job's suffering? What's the result of Job's suffering? Well, the result of Job's suffering is that the Lord actually speaks then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Interesting, isn't it? Uh, they've, been, they've been talking theology for 30 chapters because they all, including Job, they all think they know uh, about God. And God says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? and he was saying the same to me, and he was saying the same to you. Because as the one thing that I do know for sure, and I'm absolutely certain about, is that the older I get, uh, the more I realise I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot to learn about God and his dealings. And in fact, really, you know, the understanding that we have of God, however great our understanding is, it's still limited, because we're human. We're mere human beings. Uh, going back to uh, the lies we tell about God, the author uh, W.M. Uh, Young he, he wrote the book The Shack, and uh, it's interesting because in the book he's, he, he says that his mother had a real problem with the, the the book The Shack, and especially the fact that in the book The Shack is one it's, it's a Marmite thing, isn't it? Some people love some of <laughs> but in the book The Shack he, um, he, he portrays there's, there's a moment where he portrays God. And if you've seen the film, you'll have, have seen it, as, as a black woman. And lots of people struggle with that. And apparently his own mother uh, could read no further when she came to that. She really struggled with that. And it's really interesting, isn't it? Because we have these ideas about God. And, of course, uh, God isn't a woman, uh, but neither is he a man. But, you see, because we've grown up with the idea... Uh, you know, we talk, talk about, I don't know what you're thinking, didn't, didn't Jesus talk about God as Father and tell us to relate to God as Father? And yes, of course he did. But the psalmists also talk about God as a rock and we don't think God is made out of stone, do we? Uh, you know, there's lots of images for God in, in the Bible and God is not a man, God is not a woman and he's not a rock. You know, when I said, I'm when I, if I talk about being stuck between a rock and a hard place, uh, does that mean I'm having a debate about God? Uh, there's lots of, of images that we have about, about God. Of course, God is spirit, God is love. Uh, I, we don't know what God looks like, really, do we? Um, but he's no more male than, than he is female. Uh, he is God. And uh, we can wonder about that and, 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 and talk about it and, and wonder. And, and that's what we do. But the amazing thing is, uh, God speaks to Job out of the storm and he says that you darken my counsel, with those that acknowledge you don't know as much as you think. And uh, Philip the says, the point of the book of Job is not suffering where is God when it hurts. The prologue, chapter 1 and 2, dealt with that. The issue, the point of the book of Job is faith. Where is Job when it hurts? The point of the, the story of Job is, is, can our faith in God survive? And that was the challenge right at the beginning. The Satan character suggested it wouldn't. Take everything away and it will all fall down. Because it's built on what you've done. ...rather than a relationship. And uh, the result of Job's suffering... ...is that Job comes to find out what D.A. Carson suggests in How Long, Oh Lord. Despite the best efforts of the proponents of the health and wealth gospel... ...the fact is that Christians get old and wrinkled. They contact cancer and heart disease, become deaf and blind and eventually die. In many parts of the world, Christians have to face the blight of famine, the scourge of war. This is not to say that God does not sometimes intervene in remarkable ways... It's to say that we too live in a fallen world and cannot escape participation in its evil and suffering. Job comes to find out the hard lesson that many of us come to discover. uh, That God isn't going to protect you from all the suffering and evil in the world. That's perhaps one of the lies that sometimes we believe about God. That he will protect us and not let anything bad happen to us. I don't know why we think that. Because in the Bible, if you look at the characters and some of the characters we're going to meet in this series... Um, let's face it, you know, Moses didn't make the promised land, did he? Uh, Joseph, well, he ended up in jail. Daniel ended up in, a, in, a, in, in the lion's den. If you go into the New Testament, it doesn't get much better. John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Peter and Paul were persecuted and put in prison. Um, why do we think that we're going to have a wonderful life if we, if we follow Jesus Christ and going to be protected from any harm or suffering or evil when most of the characters in the Bible weren't? Most of the followers of God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, it seems to be their lot to suffer and to struggle and to be persecuted and, and Gary's already made reference to the fact that the persecuted church, I was going to say it's alive, it's alive and well, but it's alive and probably not very well because they've been persecuted. And we live in, in the West where we're not persecuted and very often, thank you for reminding us Gary, we forget that most Christians in the world have still been persecuted for their faith. God doesn't protect us from harm. The result of Job's suffering, though, is that uh, Job says this, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job has a new revelation of God, and is given a greater understanding of God, and given a greater level in his understanding. Um, Rick says this, I'm not the same man I used to be. When things happen, they become part of your life message. He wrote this after his own son committed suicide. He says, what you need in tragedy is not an explanation. You need the presence of God. And what Job discovers is he discovers the presence of God. Job, Job discovers God is with him in his sufferings. Job discovers that faith is what gives us to live with uncertainty. Charles Swindle says, do you know what Job finally sees? Job sees God, and that is enough. He doesn't see answers. He's in a place where he doesn't need answers. He's gotten a glimpse of the Almighty, and that is sufficient. Our first postcard from heaven. This is the message. Our first postcard from heaven. The message is that, sadly, that God isn't going to protect you from all harm and evil and suffering in this world. But, and there is a but, but the promise is that he will be with you when you encounter suffering and hardship and evil. The promise is that he will not leave you, he will not abandon you, he will meet you in your sufferings. This is the postcard from heaven that God is with us. And as we gather around the communion table, we are reminded of just how God did meet us in our sufferings. Because when he sent Jesus Christ into this world and he became a human in the incarnation, we don't really understand that, but we are amazed by it and wonder at it, what we do discover is that by becoming human, he enters into the world that contains evil and suffering and death. And Jesus experiences all those things in his life. And he's with us in those things. But he overcomes them. He overcomes evil. He overcomes sin. And he even overcomes death. The postcard from heaven, week one, contains a simple message. That I am with you. Always. Always to the very end of the age.